17. One of the things that we found to be most daunting about planning for the next few years on the mission field is the transition to homeschooling our children. And to try and make that transition a little bit easier, Emma, my wife, she's been doing a lot of research, she's been doing a lot of planning and asking lots of different people all kinds of questions and for advice. And all the while as she's making these plans, she's starting already to show the kids what her plans are and involve them in that so that they're very familiar with it all whenever we arrive in Kenya and start in earnest. Uh, and one of the things that we've started doing, which is something we hadn't been doing before, was playing what you could call educational music for the kids. They've got songs now, a song for the continents of the earth, a song for all the elements on the periodic table. They've got a song for all the planets in the solar system and so on and so forth. And we play them in the car, we play them in the kitchen, and it really seems to work. These new songs that they've been learning, they've been met with a lot of enthusiasm. And I think there's been a lot of memorization too. I know that because our middle child, George, he's four years old. He, in particular, has really enjoyed learning these new songs. And the information that he's taking in, it seems to constantly occupy his mind uh, as we're going about our business every day. For example, we'll be driving and he'll say, well, Dad, where are we going today? And I'll say, he's not here tonight, but I'll say, oh, we're going to Analong. And he'll say, is that in Europe? And I'll say, yes, George, it is in Europe. And in fact, it's very close to the sea. And he'll say, are you talking about the Pacific Ocean? And I'll say, no, George, it's just the Irish Sea. And that's new information for George, something which he takes some time to absorb. And so he's very quiet for a moment and he thinks deeply about that. And then he breaks the silence after much contemplation and he says, where is North Macedonia anyway? And I say, well, it's nowhere near Analong, George, so you don't need to worry about that one. But constantly he's coming out with all these kinds of things and these names and these places, which, to be honest, I haven't got the foggiest notion where North Macedonia is, but he's going to surpass me very quickly. The point is, these new songs have changed everything for George. He thinks about them all the time. He brings them into conversations, and when he sings them, he couldn't be happier. There's a song described here in Isaiah 42. In verse 10, it's described in these terms, it's a new song. A song that is new in every conceivable sense of that word. As we'll see tonight in the time we have to study this passage, the words of this song are new words. The singers of this song are new singers. Their reason for singing this song is on the basis of new things that God is doing. So, all of that has a connection to what I mentioned to you before we started the scripture reading, the why of missions. The new song perhaps is an answer to that question, but to open it up to you a little further, we want to understand the why of missions tonight by asking three questions about the new song. Three questions about the new song, and the first of those is a who question. Who is singing? Who is singing? We can read again the whole section from verse 10 to verse 12. And as you read the, this section, I, I'm going to emphasize some of the important parts that help us to answer the question, who is singing? Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness 
and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. There's a lot of stuff in there. But one thing clearly stands out. This new song is being sung in all kinds of places. It's being heard from all kinds of mouths. In verse 10, when the Holy Spirit says that this song will be sung from the end of the earth, he means it. There's no kind of setting that's left out in those verses. We've got the sea. We've got the islands. We've got the wilderness, or you could describe it as the desert. In great contrast with that, then there's the cities and the villages. They're going to sing too. And the mountains as well. There's nothing left out. In the choir that sings this new song, there's great variety. Everybody's represented. Every background is included. And there's an importance to that. I want you to think about the fact that these people are singing this song. The people who are singing... They're doing it in praise for Jehovah. That title is used for God or that name for God in verse 10. They're singing unto the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That's who they're singing for. That's whose name they are praising. Those who are through this new song praising him, they're doing that because they've been saved by him. They're doing that because they belong to him, because they love him. New singers are the people of God. I can say that that must be the case because a person who does not belong to the Lord, who does not truly love the Lord, cannot truly sing this song. The new song is not for such a person because they're incapable of offering genuine heart praise to God. The elect are the singers of the new song. And I point that out in order to emphasize that as Isaiah writes these words by inspiration of God to describe the singers of the new song, what he's writing is a promise. A promise that there is not a place in this world. Analong, Balamina, North Macedonia, Kenya. There's not a place from which the Lord does not intend to save. There's not a place from which he does not intend to have his praise heard. The new song being sung. Therefore, it doesn't matter where each one of us is from. It doesn't matter where God takes us to be. We can expect this promise will be brought to pass. He will call his elect people to worship his name. Isaiah is revealing here that a time is coming when the praise of the Lord will not only come from the lips of the Jews, but from all kindreds, cultures, and tongues. Verse 11 talks about the people from a place called Kedar. That people group is the one from which we have the Arabians as we would describe them today. Traditionally, no friends of the Jews. And so those are people that they would not have expected In fact, some reading this perhaps would have been uncomfortable with the idea of such people joining them in the praise of Jehovah. Culturally and traditionally, they're enemies. We do well to bear that in mind when we think about the promises of God being fulfilled amongst all kindreds and peoples. This song is new because the singers are new. 
In fact, this meeting tonight and what has taken place in this meeting already tonight is a fulfillment of the promise in Isaiah 42. Each one of us who are the people of God, we are the new people. The ones who've been invited and made able to sing this new song in the praise to the God of Israel. Who is singing? New people from the end of the earth. Now a second question. Why are they singing? Why are they singing? To answer that question, we need to go back to the start of the chapter where there the Holy Spirit explains for us the basis for this new song. Look at the words with which this chapter opens. It says, Behold my servant. Behold. Take notice of this person. Look at him. Pay attention to him. Servant, clearly, is of crucial importance. Servant, we could say he's the reason for the new song. But who is he? We can find that out. We can piece it all together as we take verse by verse from verse 1 to verse 8. All of the different clues that tell us who the servant is. Verse 1 tells us that he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So his rule, his law, his way, it's going to reach out into the Gentile world. Verse 2, it says that this servant shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He's not brash. He's not a contentious person. He's one who's gentle and tender and mild. That's so clear when you read verse 3. A bruised reed shall he not break. Servant is someone who has affection for and will show mercy towards the humble, the repentant of this world. Verse 4, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. He is committed to fulfill the task which he has been given, and he will not stop until his work is done. Verses 5 and 6 together, Thus saith God the Lord, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee. So the Lord is the one who sent this servant, and will ensure that he has success in his work. Verse 7, what is that work? To open the blind eyes. To bring the prisoners out of the prison. He will bring the light of the gospel to the darkened and blind of this world. Why? Verse 8. I am the Lord and my glory will I not give to another. The servant's job, his work is to bring the heathen and blind idolaters of this world away from the worship of their idols and to the worship of the one true God. Who is the servant? Who fits such a deep and full description? God says the servant is coming. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This person is why the new singers are singing the new song. You can read God's summary of that whole plan unfolding in verse 1 to verse 8 in verse 9 where he simply says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The arrival of this servant and the work of this servant is a new thing. You read exactly the same phrase in the next chapter of Isaiah. Behold, I do a new thing. It's the same idea. This 
As Isaiah writes, it hasn't happened yet, but the God who knows all that is going to come to pass reveals it here in advance. The work of the servant, Jesus Christ, that's the new thing. And so the song of verse 10 is new because it's being sung in response to the new things that God is going to do through his servant, Jesus Christ. Why are they singing? They're singing because they who were blind have been made to see by the gentle servant of God. A third and final question. What are they singing? We know who is singing. We know why they're singing, but what are they singing? That, it seems at least, in some way, is what verse 13 onwards seems to be explaining for us. Rather than read all of those verses in full now, let me summarize two themes of the song that the new singers are singing. We see one of those in verse 16. If you just read that verse with me, one of the themes of the new song It says, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. This part of the song describes from God's own perspective his promises for his people. The good things that he is going to do for them. Look at the the verbs that are used here. I will bring. I will lead. I will make darkness light. I will not forsake them. They're singing about what God is promising to do for their good. They're singing about the wonderful benefits that they enjoy because of what Jesus the servant has done for them. We know that that scripture, verse 16, is absolutely true. That promise has come to pass. You think about the themes of the hymns that we sing. The things that we sing about in our worship, it hits on all of what verse 16 is describing. God says there in verse 16, I will bring. Today, a few thousand years later, we sing wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. God says, I will lead. We sing, Jesus shall lead me night and day. God says, I will make darkness light before them. We sing at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. God says, I will not forsake them. And we sing, did ever saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. We still sing the themes of the new song today. The work of God for his people and the blessings of salvation. But there's a second theme to the song. Not just the blessings of salvation, but this new song also anticipates the Lord's victory over all of his enemies. In fact, more of the verses from verse 13 onwards deal with that theme than what we read in verse 16. Let's read verse 13. This theme is described there. It says, the Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. God will have the victory over his enemies. We don't often see it in this way, but clearly that idea is something worth singing about. That is something which ought to fill our hearts with praise, at least for those of us who are friends of God. 
Those of us who, rather than being his enemies, are those who are under his care. People from all the far corners of this world, who perhaps, unlike us in recent times at least, have suffered, have endured persecution at the hands of these enemies of God. Whether it's those of false religion, whether it's oppressive states, those people who have suffered, they can sing this theme because they know that while those men, evil men and women all across the face of the world do evil things against the church of God, seemingly with impunity, they know that one day they will see justice done. Christ will overthrow all those who have opposed his church, all those who have rebelled against him and harmed his people. Interestingly, verse 17 shows us what that rebellion looks like. Who exactly these enemies of God are, those who can expect to be overthrown and even destroyed. Verse 17, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images, that say to the molten images, ye are our gods. Those who are going to eventually be destroyed by God, who describes himself as the mighty man, the man who roars, the God whose wrath is to be feared, are those who have refused gospel light. That's the kind of person verse 17 is describing. They've refused the gentle servant, his gospel. Those who instead continue to worship idols, whether that's the false gods of other religions whether that's far more prevalent in our day and culture, the God of self. The point, the content of the song, this is a challenge for every one of us here tonight. For those of us who are God's people, who understand and, and already possess the light of the gospel, we're being reminded by the words of this new song that in every place from the desert to the city and everything in between, there are those who sit in darkness. And if they do not see the light, if they do not come to the worship of the true God, as verse 14 puts it, they will be devoured and destroyed. What a challenge that is for the church. We could sum it up with a simple question. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about those who around us sit in darkness, who right now trust in anything but the gentle servant, who face destruction at the hands of a holy and just God? What are we going to do about it? Aside from that, and as we finish, what a challenge for you tonight if you're an unbeliever. You are the one who's sitting in darkness right now. You are the one who's receiving a warning through the new song. That if you continue to refuse Christ, the servant-hearted Savior, if you continue to run and, and suppress, run from and suppress the gospel light that he offers, God says you will be consumed as an enemy of Christ. It all turns on the question of what you're going to do with the servant. Behold my servant. Will you behold him? By faith in Christ, 
You have one who promises to lead you. You have one who promises never to forsake you, but by refusing him, you face the prospect of a God who is coming again. And when he comes, he will prevail over all his enemies. You've heard the new song. You know why it's being sung. Now you're offered a place amongst her singers. Take that opportunity tonight. I ask you in response to all of that, as the prophet does in verse 23 of this chapter as we close, who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? May the Lord give you ears to hear and eyes to see and behold his servant tonight. Let us pray.